Well, welcome back to Bible and Brew, and we are joined with a special guest, per usual, the Reverend Jim Monroe, who is a priest at Calvary St. George's in Grand Mercy Park in New York City. And we are back, Ben and myself, and today we all have different beers. Uh, myself, I have Don't Call It a Hot Lanta. It's a quadruple hobbed IPA from Atlanta, Georgia. I've got a Juice Bomb IPA from Sloop Brewing. Pretty excited about this. How about you, Jim? So this is uh, Yingling. Heck yeah. <laughs> Traditional cliche beer. <laughs> Original amber beer. And I've got a uh, stepdaughter named Amber, so that works. It says it's from the America's oldest brewery. It is, Pennsylvania Strong. <laughs> and on the back it says I, it's helping me to protect ba bald eagles. So I don't care what it tastes like, the can is very cool. Are you sure it's bald eagles or your bald spot? Just keep, keep talking. <laughs> well, quarantine so yeah. right, okay. well, I'm going to take us to the gospel lesson for this Sunday. It's from Matthew chapter 11. It goes like this. Jesus said to the crowd, to what will I compare this generation? It is like children sitting in the marketplaces and calling to one another. We played the flute for you and you did not dance. We wailed and you did not mourn. For John came neither eating nor drinking and they say, he has a demon. The son of man came eating and drinking and they say, look, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners, Yet wisdom is vindicated by her deeds. At that time, Jesus said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and the intelligent and have revealed them to infants. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Come to me, all you who are weary and are carrying heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. So, Jim and Roe, what do you got for us on this text? Well, it's... Um several different sections. The first section, of course, justifies this Bible and brew thing. Um, Jesus himself gets called a, a drunkard and a, a glutton. Um, but for me, I, and, uh, you know, we can talk about anything, but it's the very last uh, section that really speaks to me. Um, I was reading about um, um, a German art critic who, um, he was reporting on an art exhibit, and what he said was, we don't look at these paintings they look at us, they judge us. And I find you know, that that's really true for this passage from the Bible also. Um, you know, I, I'm a cradle Episcopalian. You two guys are so young. I mean, you're little babies. But I grew up with the 1928 Book of Common Prayer so that every time we had Holy Communion, they always read something called uh, the Comfortable Words. And in them, there's something called the Great Invitation. And we just heard it, come unto me. And it's uh, the, the old language is all ye that travail and are heavy laden, and I will refresh you. Um, there's the Eugene Peterson uh, did a contemporary translation. Let me just read it to you. 
Are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion? Get away with me and you will recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. So, I mean, I've got a couple of examples of, of how these come to this great invitation might apply, but, um, you know, what do you guys, I mean, what do you, what do you get from uh, the comfortable words in this great invitation? Yeah, so like your first point you raised about Jesus being called a drunkard and a glutton. Um, I think, you know, Ben and I wanted to do something different. Um, and we've gotten positive feedback from this uh, podcast or this, these videos and also uh, negative uh, feedback too. But it's the same in the gospel lesson for today. Jesus being called uh, a drunkard, Jesus being called a glutton because Jesus put himself with people. He was around the everyday, ordinary people or um, sinners, right? But I see nowadays like there are, or maybe some priests who are like quote, pious priests who do things by the book and they can't go out and be next to uh, tax collectors be next to the, the, the ordinary people in their ordinary lives, having a casual drink and talking about the Bible, talking about the kingdom of God with them, right? Because they need to be um, this otherness embodiment of, of the holy, which is good in itself, but is that, is that personable? And I see the personable Jesus um, in this when he's being um, called these, these things, right? I see, the, I see the personal Jesus in this. Guys, who do you think, I think this is a good question, who are the tax collectors and sinners today? And let me, let me give you a, a two questions. Who are the tax collectors for conservative Christians? And who are the tax collectors and sinners for more liberal Christians? Can we come up with that? Because I think that that's really interesting for us today, because I think we are kind of in a very pious, somewhat pharisaical moment on both ends of your uh, religious spectrum, but who would you guys say are the tax collectors and sinners who Jesus would hang out with today, and we would be like, they're drunkards, they're, you know, whatever. You guys got anything? I know for a fact it's hanging out with us. Because <laughs> <laughs> like I'm saying, like, we, we are sinners, right? I'm not, I'm not here telling you I'm this pious individual, look at me, look the way I live. No, I'm in the same boat as everyone else, and I need a savior for my own life, right? I'm, I'm, I'm preaching this message trying to tell everyone about God who sent his son down to this earth, but I'm still um, in need of a savior too. Um, but uh, Jim, do you want to tackle ben, Ben's question? I kind of I pushed it to you. I'm thinking of two examples. One is Tony Campolo's famous sermon um, about the time that he went to a conference in Hawaii and walked into a diner at 3 a.m., and a whole bunch of prostitutes came in, and one of them was going to have a birthday the next night. And so Tony and the guy who ran the little greasy spoon diner put together a birthday party. Um, and the next night for this prostitute is, I mean, Tony is very funny about saying it was him and wall-to-wall -wall prostitutes. But when it was all over, um, Tony said a prayer, and the guy who ran the diner said, Campolo, uh, Nobody told me you were a preacher. What kind of a church do you belong to? And Tony said, I belong to a church that throws birthday parties for prostitutes at 3 a.m. in the morning. And the guy said, oh, no, you don't. And if, I'd go to a church like that. 
So that's, I mean, that's one example. The other example, I'll just give you one more really quickly. What's the name of that Episcopal, is it Episcopal Church in Washington, D.C. that did all, you know, all the social action? Was it Church of Our Savior? And, oh, and uh, Gordon Cosby was the guy who was the head of it. And I, I went to a conference once and um, he spoke to us and his opening words were this, we're not spending enough time with pimps. Um, and uh, I, you know, wow. Yeah. So there you go. I, uh, I find it interesting in this text because it seems like the Pharisees, the scribes, the religious authorities, they see John the Baptist and he is like, he's a little too much for him, right? He's like that guy in the wilderness. He's a little weird, maybe more strict than they are. And then here's Jesus, who's the opposite of that. He's the guy who's what we've all talked about so far. He's hanging out with the tax collectors, the prostitutes, the drunkards, etc. And this text is kind of saying that it's oftentimes those of us who think we know what we're talking about who just completely miss it. Um, I think the sex is saying on one level, there are multiple ways of being a Christ follower, of being a Christian. Not everyone's gonna be totally cool with Bible and brew, and that's completely fine and okay. And then there are some who will be, and that's cool too. But I think the emphasis seems to be on is that these people who should know better, namely people like us three, the religious leaders of our own day, who just miss it. Uh, and I don't know about you guys, maybe we can talk about this for a second, but I've found that at times the people who I think are the simplest or the people who I need to teach the most, whatever that means, who end up showing me Jesus, the one who's got the theology degree, the one who's got the ordination certificate. Um, yeah, do you guys have experiences like that? I do. I mean, one little example a few years ago, I, uh, there was a guy uh, with all sorts of, he was an adult, but loaded with special needs um, and developmental uh, disabilities. And he was sweet, um, but, um, you know, had all of these concerns. And um, finally he was dying and he was in the hospital and I went to visit him. Um, and um, I walked in knowing that I was the priest, uh, that I was bringing God, I was bringing the love of Jesus. I mean, this poor fella, um, you know, this tough life, but I was there for him in his last minutes to bring him comfort. And I sat by his bed and he was sleeping and I sort of had my hand just resting on the side of the bed. Uh, I was looking out the window and all of a sudden um, I felt him touching my hand and he was patting my hand and stroking it. And I knew in that moment that he was telling me uh, that it was okay, um, that everything would be all right. And in that instant, I realized that um, I was getting ministered to. Um, I, the great seminary uh, graduate uh, with, with uh, theology, um, was getting loved and ministered to and cared for it and reassured um, um, by this fella who, from a worldly point of view, um, didn't have much. But in that moment, he really was Jesus for me. Hmm. Yeah. So I, I'm, I'm still thinking about this question that Jesus opens us up with, right? To what will I compare this generation? Hmm. What will we compare this generation to right now? Um, it's, it's tough, right? Seeing, seeing the world right now. And he gives us um, an example of 
the generation currently in the current cultural climates of his day. But what, how can we compare this generation? How can we look at our generation? Uh, I don't know if anyone wants to take on that, but it's in the first, the first um, line. Yeah, I mean, I think this, that's kind of what I was trying to get at. Maybe I didn't get at super well. But he used that analogy, right, of the children sitting in a marketplace calling to one another. And on the one hand, they're saying, we're playing the flute for you. You're not dancing. The other, we wailed and you do not mourn. And I see that really as a reference to both John the Baptist and Jesus. John the Baptist is the one who's kind of, uh, as we said, ascetical, um, uh, kind of uh, the mourner. Jesus tends to be the one partying or at least hanging out with party people. And this is directed to the religious leaders. And they're like, Jesus is telling them like, okay, you want it one way for John, and that's not good enough. You want it another way for me, and that's not good enough. Why are you guys so darn blind? And I don't know about you guys, but I think that sometimes in my pride, in my, in my theology degree, in thinking I know things, um, yeah, I think that sometimes I can be pretty blind to what's right in front of me. Um, yeah, I, I'm just kind of spitfiring there, but you guys, you guys resonating with that or disagree with that at all? Well, I, I'm looking at the last sentence of this section that you're talking about. It says, yet wisdom is vindicated by her deeds. So, which I translate contemporary as uh, the proof is in the pudding. Uh, and the pudding, the pudding is the cross. And the pudding is the fact that um, Jesus puts his money, his money where his mouth is um, and, um, and goes to the cross uh, to bear on his shoulders, you know, everything that we can't bear ourselves and declares us righteous by his own works. Um, yeah, so, just, even for people who should have seen it coming. And, yeah. just, and just ending us, I mean, we all know the last uh, few sentences in the scripture, but I think everyone who mm. listening can know about it. Come to me, all you that are weary and carrying heavy burdens. I think all of us nowadays are carrying heavy burdens. Um, pain comes to mind for me, uh, heartache, uh, if we lost someone, someone going through a divorce, uh, high school high school hasn't had their graduation, college hasn't had their graduations, all, their, all these burdens that we are holding on to. Jesus says, come to me, put them on me, put it on myself, give it to me, and then I'll take it off of you. And that's, that's just really reassuring for myself. That whatever I'm holding on to. Sorry, go ahead. <laughs> Whatever I'm holding on to, I can just give it, give it to Jesus, and Jesus can be part of this yeah. with me, part of my own journey, and then I'm not, I'm not going through this alone. But Ben, what, what were you saying? Before no, you especially just kind of echoing what you were saying, like in a time of a pandemic, in a time of racial injustice, this is the voice of God to you and me. These, as Jim said, these comfortable words, come to me, those of you who are worn out, stressed out, overburdened, who've been discriminated against for generations, etc. Come to me, and I'm going to give you rest. Um, yeah, so when he says um, those who are weary, he's not talking about people who need a little nap. 
Mm -hmm. I'm here talking about people who are absolutely exhausted, people right on the verge of a nervous breakdown or, or like a total collapse. You know, and, you know, heavy laden, that doesn't mean sort of, you know, your shoulders are a little achy. It means you're feeling squashed and just flat on the ground. Um, and that's really wonderful news because if the truth be known, I'm not just a little bit weary. You know, I'm, I'm, I mean, my friend Paul Saul says, all of us are either right in the middle of a nervous breakdown, a huge crisis, or we're about to go into one, or we're just coming out of one. No exceptions. And it's true. I can think of mine right now, which I won't share with you. What's more true than that right now? If, you know, we have no idea what's coming the next couple of months, and yet we are told, come to Jesus. On that note. We all have different beers, mm. and I think we should all do individual grades. Amen. So, Jim, you start us off with the Pennsylvania staple. Um, wait a minute. Have I got time for one more thing beforehand? Oh, of course. Really quick. Jim, no, you don't. <laughs> I want to tell you about John Merrick. Um, just really quickly, John Merrick lived two centuries ago in England. Um, and he had a disease called elephantiasis. Um, uh, it actually was called neurofibromatosis, but it, we know it as elephantiasis. He was the elephant man. You know, he was the one who made his living um, as a freak in a circus. Um, but what people didn't know about John Merrick was that he had one book that he carried with him all the time, and it was the Church of England Book of Common Prayer. And at the end of every day, after people were done laughing at him and screaming at him, he would go back to his little apartment, little flat, and by one candle, he would open up his Book of Common Prayer and turn it to the page and read, um, Come unto me, all ye that travail and are heavy laden, and I will refresh you. So um, our brother and sister elephant people, um, praise the Lord. So um, here's this beer. You know, I drink one can of beer about every 10 years. So what do I know? I mean, it tastes like beer. We saw you here about two months ago. And, um, and it reminds me of when I was in college. So it tastes good. What's your grade, Jim? One, one, out, of, one out of 10. Oh, I'll give this a 12. <laughs> 12. <laughs> one out of 10. One out of 10. Uh, I'll give it a nine. Yeah. Wow. It's all right. That's a, that's a good staple. <laughs> Disappointed. Disappointed. Well, I'll go next because I think Leanne wants to go last. But the Juice Bomb Sloop IPA or Sloop Brewing, this is a solid beer. This I'd give this like an eight point six, which is, I think, a really good rating. What do you think, Leanne? About yours? So I'm drinking the Don't Call It Hot Lanta. It is very good. Before I get to that grade, I'm going to grade Jim's beer because I've had a Yankee before. And that beer is a hard 4.8. Harsh, too harsh, Shingling. Hard 4.8. So I gotta, I gotta correct that a little bit. Uh, but this was, this was great. Um, wow. 8.8. Uh, Whoa. I've heard it's good. I'm dying to try it. It's, it's very good. Yeah. So, well, Jim, thank you. Wait, were you want to say something? I'll try it in 10 years. Okay. Okay. Or the next time we have you on. Right. Thanks for joining us and thanks everybody for listening in and we will see you next week for another edition of Bible and Brew.